before we jump into uh, our message today, I want to say a big thank you, first of all, because last week we told you about the affordable Christmas and where we were kind of at, needing some help to finish strong, to uh, give uh, an opportunity for our Glenwood Leadership Academy to have a great experience. And that happened yesterday. And we wanted you to know that almost 500 gifts were given out. You guys really came through at the last minute. So thank you so, so very much. It was a great day yesterday and we even have some good news that there was actually a surplus of gifts this year. And so those gifts have been partnered with another one of our partners, the Ebenezer Christian Life Center for their Christmas giveaway. So the the gifts just keep multiplying. So thank you for responding like you always do. We appreciate your generosity and thanks for just being a part of making Christmas really special for some of our friends who live here in our city. And I also just want to reiterate why the year-end offering is so important here at Crossroads. It's not so Phil and his family can be fed, okay? I want you to know it's not just to keep the lights on in the building, all right? One of the cool things about Crossroads is that we're debt-free. And what that means is every penny you give goes directly to living out God's mission here at Crossroads and throughout the world. I mean, when you give and give generously, I do get to fulfill my calling by, by being supported by you, but I also, with my teammates, help you find your calling. It's also the kids and adults. People get connected to Jesus. They grow in their faith. We're able to meet tangible needs right here in this city. We're also part of expanding God's kingdom across the world. People that you have never met, people places you've never been, are impacted by the gospel. We'll get to see those people in heaven. And you play a part in that when you give generously. Our stewardship team here at Crossroads has set a big goal for December, $850,000. That feels like a a crazy big number, right? But again, every penny that we give is is moving God's kingdom forward. So during this season of being generous, I want to encourage you to seriously consider being faithful with your tithes and offerings, but also maybe giving above and beyond to help us finish 19 strong and, and start 20 even stronger. We're excited about what God's doing here at Crossroads. You are already playing a part of that. We encourage you just to continue to do that. Let's lock together and watch what God wants to do in us and through us, especially in this area of generosity. So uh, now let's jump into uh, the sermon for today. This week, we're continuing to look at the names that were prophesied for Jesus by this guy, Isaiah, that we read about in the, in the Old Testament. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter nine, you can use the Bible in the seat back in front of you or maybe your own copy. We're trying to find and discover a fuller identity of who Jesus is. But we're also trying to discover how we can experience more of Jesus in our life. And last week, we looked at the first name that Isaiah mentions that would be given to Jesus, Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is here to help us and understand he's wise, he's caring, he's trustworthy. He knows because he's been there and he's available and willing to help. Jesus being our Wonderful Counselor means that we can trust him. So today, we're going to take a look at the next name that Isaiah speaks about. Do you know there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus, about his character and his nature recorded in the Old Testament? They give us exact details about his birth, but also about his life and his death. The crazy thing is they were all fulfilled by Jesus. Peter Stoner and Robert Newman, they wrote a book called Science Speaks. It's a book based on probability and it's actually vouched for by the American Scientific Association or affiliation. 
They state that the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight of these 300 plus prophecies, that chance is like one in one to the 17th power. That's a big number, okay? I had to look that up. What number is that? Well, it's a quadrillion. 100 quadrillion, that's 100 with 15 zeros behind it, okay? That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight of these 300 plus prophecies. And they describe it like this. It'd be like the entire state of Texas, the great state of Texas, being covered with silver dollars, 100 quadrillion silver dollars. And if you sent a man to Houston and you blindfolded him and sent him out in any direction, the probability of him picking up one silver dollar with an X on it would be like Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies. Here's what we know for a fact. Jesus didn't just fulfill three or eight of those prophecies. He fulfilled every single one of them. And for Jesus to do that, that takes a lot more than just coincidence. It also has a lot more to do with less with coincidence. What the names are that were given to Jesus. I mentioned last week that there's a lot of historical context around this prophecy by Isaiah, but I wanted to wait till today to kind of unpack it a little bit more because it has a lot of bearing on this second name that was given to Jesus, mighty God. Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before Jesus was born and the nation of Assyria was kind of taking over the entire known world. In chapter six, we see that Isaiah receives his call from God in the year that King Uzziah died. And in chapter seven, we see Uzziah's son Ahaz is now the king of Judah. The kings of Aram and Israel, they were really nervous because they felt very vulnerable at the hands of the Assyrians because they were strong and they were violent. And so they decided to make an alliance together and they really wanted Ahaz and Judah to join in with them and to persuade them, they decided they would attack them. Well, Ahaz was really fearful about all this. In fact, Isaiah 7, 2 says this, the hearts of Ahaz and the people of Judah were shaken like the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And so God sent Isaiah to speak to Ahaz and he says this, be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering studs of firewood. I love that description. Both sides were, were pressuring um, Ahaz to join their alliance so that they would be protected. And before making this uh, decision, God says through Isaiah to Ahaz, don't join either side. I'm going to protect you and I'll give you a sign. Well, Ahaz was a little reluctant. He knew that if God gave him a sign that it would be expected for him to obey and follow through. And so he said, I will not put the Lord to the test. When we look at that, we think, oh, isn't that noble? Isn't that God honoring? But God was not pleased with this choice. Instead of waiting on God's deliverance or trusting in his power, Ahaz reached out to the king of Assyria and made a pact with him and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. This made Judah more vulnerable, not just politically, but spiritually as well. And Isaiah condemned Ahaz's decision. And he says that because you made this choice, the, the nation of Judah will be taken captive and will be destroyed. Isaiah said, you didn't want a sign, but God's going to give you a sign anyway. It reminds me of that comedian, like, here's your sign. You know, it's kind of that moment, right? And he says, here's the sign. A virgin will give birth to a son, give him the name Emmanuel. 
Now this promise of a child being born actually has two fulfillments. It's a dual fulfillment. The first fulfillment is that a young woman, possibly somebody working in the palace, possibly even Isaiah's fiance, would have a baby, a son. And before this child could feed himself or even knew between right and wrong, that the nation of Judah and also of um, Aram would be destroyed. And that actually happened. The second promise, though, had much more to do about a spiritual fulfillment. This virgin would give birth to a son. And here's how Isaiah 9 describes it. You're familiar with this passage. It says, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the prophecy by Isaiah, it doesn't give us a lot of the specific details about Jesus' birth, but... It provides the fullest description of who this guy named Jesus would be and what his purpose on earth would be. What does it mean for Jesus to be mighty God? Well, the name speaks of divine power. It hints of being a warrior, a conqueror, a deliverer. The Hebrew could actually be translated hero God. I love that description. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21 uses the same description. It, Jeremiah, who was a, a contemporary of Isaiah, he prophesied and described God the same way. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 32. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt and you've continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. Mighty God indicates superhuman strength, power. Scholars state that this title can be given to no man, just one person, and that's Christ alone because he is God. Now to say Jesus is God brings us to a point where we need to uh, clarify some things. I mentioned last week in our message that Jesus being fully human makes him the great, wonderful counselor. He can relate to us and we can relate to him. Jesus felt pain when he stubbed his toe. He felt a, a wide range of emotions. He even had a wide range of bodily functions. He can understand and empathize and offer us wise counsel and help because he's been there. But what makes Jesus mighty God is that he is fully God. All throughout scripture, we see God reveal that he is one God, but manifest in three persons. And we know those three persons by name, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. Theologians talk about that being the Trinity. Each of these three persons, they, they have the exact same qualities of, of each other, but they operate in unique roles or functions. And we see them present in a couple different snapshots in scripture. The first is in creation. In Genesis 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, it says that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And in verse 26, it says that, it says, let us make man in our image. Do you hear the plurality? You can see that God's revealing himself in these three persons. 
We also see a snapshot of this at Jesus' baptism. We see God the Son being baptized, Jesus. And as he comes up out of the water, God the Spirit lands as a form of a dove. And then we hear God the Father speaking, saying, this is my Son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. We see the uniqueness of their roles and functions in these instances. But we also need to realize and understand that they have the exact same qualities. Now understand this is hard to get our arms around. In fact, people throughout history have tried to use illustrations to kind of speak to this reality. One of the classics is, is H2O. It's what is made up uh, water, right? Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. And water in any of its form, like gas or solid or liquid, has that same quality, those same chemical makeup, whether it's ice or steam or water. I also think about this when I think about myself. Now, let me clarify. I'm not comparing myself to God, all right? Phil equal God, that's not good. I don't need lightning to strike me here in front of all of you, right? No pyrotechnics today, right? But, but I thought about this a little bit, like I am the same person, but I have three different roles I play. I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm also a son. All three of those have very different roles and responsibilities attached to them, but I'm, I'm made up of the same qualities in all three of those. I'm tall, brown-headed, blue-eyed, you know, goofy and bow-legged, regardless of whatever role that I'm functioning in, right? Now realize all illustrations break down at some point. But it's really important for us to understand this, especially when it comes to Jesus, that scripture teaches that Jesus and God the Father are exactly the same. And that's important for lots of reasons. I'll give you two today. The first is this, Jesus reveals God's character. John chapter one, verse 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18, it says this, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. John 10 verse 30, Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I and the father are one. And then the Hebrew writer says this in verse three of chapter one, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus also reveals God's glory. Mighty God and almighty God are the same. There's no more straightforward declaration of deity of Jesus as the Messiah as calling him mighty God. There's no distinction between Yahweh and Messiah when it comes to character or power. The fact that the baby born to the virgin is Jesus mighty God, that's significant. Because as mighty God, Jesus can overcome all of life's dangers. He demonstrated that while he walked on the earth as being fully human, yet fully God. The gospel of Mark doesn't record any of the birth of Jesus. Like there's no manger, no shepherds or sheep, no angels in the stars, none of that. It just jumps right into the point that Jesus is God by revealing his character and his deity. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor and author, he says that the first chapters of Mark, it, produce, it kind of presents Jesus like he's wrestling in a WWF match and he handles all of his opponents easy handed. He says in round one, Jesus defeats evil 
by withstanding the temptations of Satan in the desert and also casting out a demon from a man and a young boy. In round two, Jesus defeats disease because he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals a man with leprosy, a paralytic. He heals a woman who'd been bleeding for years and many others. In round three, Jesus defeats the weather because he calms the storm. And after he does that, Mark records this. Jesus says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? In round four, Jesus defeats death by raising a young girl back to life. And that's just the first five chapters of Mark. Jesus is not just caring as wonderful counselor, he's capable as mighty God. If you and I can trust Jesus as wonderful counselor, then we should believe in him as mighty God. I love what Jesus says to the father of this young girl who he's about about ready to raise to life. Jesus had been teaching. This man sent some messengers to Jesus to ask him to come because his daughter was sick. And on his way, he encounters this woman who'd been bleeding for years. She's healed. And after that moment, these other messengers show up and they said, hey, don't bother the teacher. The young girl is already dead. Jesus says, she's not dead. She's asleep. And the people who heard him say that laughed at him like, yeah, what are you going to do, right? And Jesus makes this statement to the young girl's father. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Do you remember the chaos I described that was going around uh, around when Isaiah made these prophecies that Jesus would be mighty God? God was present. He even offered counsel and help. But Ahaz didn't listen, nor did he trust. He didn't believe, nor did he let God help. He was surrounded, but he was not without hope or help. Isaiah even told Ahaz, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You know, maybe today you need to recognize and realize that Jesus is mighty God because you might feel surrounded and in need of his help, in need of his power. You know, maybe you're facing a difficult health challenge. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's MS or ALS. It's some chronic pain. There's some physical oppression you're facing and you need healing. You need strength. You need the pain to stop. You need power. And you're well aware that you're almost out or already out of your own strength. Jesus is mighty God. He brings healing and strength. And sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it's not. Sometimes he works through miracles and sometimes he chooses to use modern medicine. But there's nothing he can't handle. There's nothing that's too big for him. God is caring and capable. It's okay to be fearful. Just don't lose faith. We also have to remember this, that life here on earth is temporary. It's not what we were intended for to live for the rest of our days. This life is short. It's a mist. Our ultimate healing might come in heaven. And the entrance into heaven is by believing in Jesus as our savior. But that's also what gives you and I strength to live here on earth now. Jesus is mighty God. So trust and depend on him. You know, maybe you're married and you've grown complacent or apathetic. Maybe you're struggling to be faithful. Maybe you want to just give up or get out. You don't have the energy or desire to, to make it work. And maybe you just wish that there was, you just know that there's nothing that will ever change. Well, Jesus is mighty God. 
If he can resurrect Lazarus from the grave, your marriage is not too far gone. It might require some hard work on your part to restore, repair, to reconnect, but you won't be alone. It's not too big for Jesus. He's mighty God. Jesus says with a faith the size of a mustard seed, which is really, really small, you can say to a mountain, move, and that mountain will move. Trust and depend on our mighty God. And you know, maybe you're single. Maybe you just wish that you could have some companionship. Maybe you wish to be married. Maybe you've given up on your dream of having a spouse or a family. Maybe you feel like you should just lessen your standards or or loosen your guard. Maybe you should just settle for someone who doesn't love God but has shown you some attention. Maybe you're fighting to uphold the sanctity of marriage or when you're surrounded by a world that says it's not worth waiting. Jesus is mighty God. He provided food for 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He walked upon top of the water. He resurrected the dead. He can keep you pure. He can bring you a spouse. He can find companionship. He can lead you out of temptation and deliver you from evil because he is mighty God. His sovereignty does not mean that he will give you everything that you want, but that does not limit him. He is still mighty God. Maybe you're a parent here today and you're, you're feeling overwhelmed by the needs of your infant. Maybe you're impatient with the tirades of your toddler or the energy of your elementary age kid. Maybe you're stressed from the pressure of your teen who's facing all kinds of pressures. Or maybe you're anxious about the future of your young adult. Maybe you're scared because your youngest is learning to drive. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the needs of your child with a cognitive disability. Or maybe you're stressed out about helping your adult child navigate the real world. Or maybe that's just me. But regardless, Jesus is mighty God. Maybe you're a student struggling with school or you're fearful about finals. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction or or battling depression. Maybe you're a boss trying to make your quota before the end of the year. Maybe you're a Christ follower trying to shine and share God's light to a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. You feel like you're swimming upstream. Jesus is mighty God. Or maybe you're just stressed out because you realize there's only two and a half weeks left of Christmas shopping and you're not done with your list yet. Jesus is mighty God. There's power in his name. All throughout scripture, God reveals himself by a first and last name, I am. Everything you read in scripture, when you see the words I am is usually translated the name of God. One of the classic moments is when God tells Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt to declare to Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, are you sure? And he has a few questions. And one of his questions is this, okay, God, so I say that I go down to Egypt and I tell the Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to rescue you. And they say, oh yeah, well, what's his name? And what should I tell them? Well, God says this to Moses, you tell them I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation, referring to I am. And whenever we see that word, it represents not just identity, but it also represents the power of God. Fast forward all the way to the end of Jesus' life when he's in the garden, just about being, able, being arrested. 
This is what John 18 records happens in this moment. John 18 verse three says this, Judas came to the garden. He guided a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. They're carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? And they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Actually, the Greek just uses those two words, I am. When Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. That's because there's power in Jesus' name. There always has been, there always will be. Why? Because Jesus is God and Jesus is mighty God. Richard Halverson served as the United States Senate chaplain from 1981 to 1994. He also, with Bill Bright, started the National Prayer Breakfast, which still goes on to this day. This is what he says. He says, the fact is, The birth, crucifixion, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ are celebrated worldwide by folk of every race, language, and color every year. And believing in Jesus, they've been delivered from the most evil, disastrous, frustrating, debilitating habits and life forms possible. The real problem with Jesus Christ is not that folk can't believe in him, but that they won't believe in him. You and I should have confidence in faith that Jesus has all the power of God because he is God and he is mighty God. And Paul had a strong faith and confidence in the name of Jesus and it helped guide him through all kinds of circumstances that were awful. Philippians 2 verse 9 through 11, Paul says this, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When writing to the Colossians, Paul speaks about the supremacy and the power that's found in Jesus. Look what he says to the Colossians. The Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's a powerful resume for our mighty God. But you know, the most powerful thing Jesus ever did was not create the universe or even sustain it in this very moment, but instead to look sin and death in the face and make a deliberate decision to save you and me so that we could be made right with God. Jesus' true might was shown by what he did to save us. And because Jesus died and came back to life, we have access to all of his power. Paul said that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And when we place our faith in Jesus, he saves us forever and he gives us the power to live here and now. 
Listen to how Paul describes this reality to the Corinthians. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure or this confidence. It's in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Jesus is mighty God and all his power is alive in us. What's on the inside makes all the difference. This morning I have two soda cans with me and they have something that's uniquely different about them. This first can, if I put it on the ground, it will withstand my entire body weight. But the second can, though it looks just the same, if I put it on the ground, it will not stand up under my body weight. It just crushes right under it. You know that there's a difference between the two. And maybe you're a rocket scientist and you already figured it out, right? This is full and this is empty. So I'm going to close with a question for all of us. How do you want to live your life? Do you want to live empty without the power of the mighty God living in you or in the full reality of the mighty God in you? Jesus is mighty God. So believe in him. Let his power fill you. Let it deliver you. Let it save you. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. That sounds like such an understatement. God, we are desperately in need of you. God, we need you to save us from our sins. We cannot save ourselves. That's base foundation. We need you to save us. And we thank you that you sent Jesus as mighty God and Savior to rescue us. But God, we also need you relationally. We have stress and strain in relationships in our family and at work. And we, we sometimes dread the holidays because we're going to see that relative or we know we're not welcome because of something that's happened that puts a lot of stress around this time. So God, we need you relationally. God, we need you vocationally. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress that comes this time trying to meet quotas or say thanks or to celebrate the holidays in a politically correct way. God, we need you to have wisdom, but we also need your power to push through and to be alive in every moment and to be an example for you at every turn. God, we need you uh, in every aspect of our life. And that's why we're celebrating Jesus because you sent him as our savior, you sent him as our counselor, and you sent him as our power, our might, to live this life every day, filled with your spirit, filled with your confidence that comes by knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. And even though we are like a, a jar of clay, God, your power in us, I pray will be evident to a world that needs to know how we figure this out. How do we navigate? How do we even get out of bed sometimes in the morning? It's because of who you are and us knowing you fully and being filled with you fully as mighty God. God, I pray that you would show up in tangible ways today for those who are hurting, whether it be physically or emotionally or relationally or in any way, God, that they need your touch, your power, would you show up in a big way today? Just remind all of us that we don't have to be afraid that you are here to help us 
and that you are mighty God. God, it's in the name of Jesus that we receive all the power we need for life and godliness. It's also in the name of Jesus we pray right now. Amen.